Hey guys, we're here at AnimeCon Day 2 with Brandon Easton. Um, we have Bill before Sally. I'm here with Khalil Goodman and Mark Coffey. So Brandon, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Where you're from. Alright, I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland in the United States of America. I uh, was uh, born in the late mid-70s and I'm a child of the 80s. So a lot of my uh, writing and a lot of my experiences are heavily informed by the pop culture of the 1980s. So uh, right now I am working on a bunch of independent comic book series in the States. And I was previously working on the uh, Thundercats reboot from Warner Brothers Animation as well as Transformers Rescue Bots from uh, Hasbro. Um, tell us a little bit about titles you're working on old comics. Well, I'm working with a couple of companies actually, actually a few. Um, one of them is Lion Forge Comics. They're based out of St. Louis, Missouri in the States. They um, Right now, they just got a big deal with NBC Universal, so they're going to be doing a, a bunch of books with uh, uh, old N NBC titles like Miami Vice, oh, Knight Rider, cool. Airwolf, Whoa, Knight Rider, yeah, yeah, Airwolf, uh, Saved by the Bell, and Punky Brewster. Nice. Calling books on those? Yeah, nice. all very digital nice. comics. They, just, cool. they got the deal about uh, maybe a year ago, and they announced it about two months ago. Sweet. So their profiling industry jumped up immediately once Sweet. that happened. <laughs> And I'm working on a few books for them that are not the NBC titles, like uh, Rowboy, which is like a kid's title, sort of like Mega Man, you know, okay. if it was a comic book. And I'm working on a book called The Joshua Run that was uh, created by Flex Alexander. He was the brother in uh, Snakes on a Plane, and he was also in Hills oh, Have Eyes. Yeah. He did that show One on One. He was the guy with the uh, daughter. Came out a few oh, years Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, guy, yeah, Flex yeah, Alexander. Yeah, 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 he created yeah, that yeah, show. Yeah. I mean, that comic. And I'm writing that one, too. That already came out, and that's doing very well. And uh, I'm working with a, a, a group of people over in Asia called Mecca Workshop on a series called Our Marauders, which is sort of like Pacific Rim in space. So it's a bunch of, it's almost like a Gundam type story where they crash land on an alien planet and have to fight their way out because they're the last ones to survive. So that's working out pretty well. And um, I'm also doing a book called Watson and Holmes, which is a black version of Sherlock Holmes set in Harlem cool. in the 21st century. So it's uh, you're a busy guy. Yeah, there's well, <laughs> definitely a lot going on, and I'm working on a ton of stuff. And it's always about just trying to keep your name out there and keep you know work coming in. So it's been good, and I can't complain. And I'm, now I'm here, so awesome. I really can't complain. Uh, the Thundercats show. Yes, oh, huge fan. Thank it. you. Um, how did you balance the influence from the 80s show with bring it up to make it kind of work these days? Okay, well, what happened was, well, the show's already done. It's canceled, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, it's still for sale, though. Yeah, you, you <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah it's yeah. on Amazon. I mean, the best way to show the, the, the studio how you feel about the fact it was canceled is to support the, the Amazon.com downloads because it shows that people still want the yeah. material you know I mean I don't get any money from it because animation writers don't get residuals but it's just a sign to show that we really wanted this because sure. when Young Justice got cancelled there was a massive explosion of um, contempt right. and anger right. and disappointment and Warner Brothers Animation did it and I'm about to get into that whole um, discussion yeah. because of the toy sales or lack thereof but what I, another thing is I came in toward the end of the series I didn't um, I wasn't part of the development team those guys were uh, Ethan Spaulding, Michael Jelnick, and a guy named Dan Norton who designed the visuals for all, everything you saw yeah. wow. in, um, in, the, in the rebooted series. But one of the things I worked on was uh, realizing how careful we had to be between balancing what we were doing 
versus how the old show was. Because to be absolutely honest, if, if as adults you watch that show and you don't know anything about it from the past, it is really stupid. I mean, the writing, I mean, I'm not disrespecting the original writing mm -hmm. team, but the writing wasn't up to par. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the animation in the first season was fantastic, mm -hmm. and then season two it got a little bit worse. Season three got a little bit worse. And then by the time they brought all those other folks, and I was like, this is hard to watch, yeah. you know? So what they wanted to do was make it something that kids who like, let's say, uh, Naruto, right, would like. Because the action in Thundercats was very kinetic. Yeah, it was yeah. very fast. It yeah. was very much a, uh, you know, a cowboy bebop, um, Naruto-type vibe. And people really appreciated what we did with that, you know? and. It was a great experience. Uh, I mean, I regret not having a second season because I had some ideas and everybody, I mean, everything, it was gonna be 52 episodes. And the second season, I can talk about it now, was gonna be closer to what you remembered. Like Lionel would have been aged a little bit. You would have had uh, Tigra and Chitara being king and queen. You know, because Tigra was the uh, was the chosen son, even yeah. though he wasn't actually the blood relative of King Claudius, and it, w it would have been like this crazy epic where Lionel reclaimed his crown and he became the character you remember. But you, it'll never see the light of day. The show kind of got judged on the pilot season where you're just trying to introduce and stuff. Right. Well, the toys didn't sell. Yeah. But so, that's weird because they yeah. thought um, Thundercats back in the day was a pretty good seller in front in terms of toys. Mm -hmm. um, the toy sales on that didn't take off for the new series. No, they didn't. I mean, what happened was, the problem, and this is nobody's fault, I guess you can blame Warner Brothers or Cartoon Network, they put the show on against WWE SmackDown. Now, the show Whoa. originally came out, I'll, I'll tell you how it worked. The show came on Friday nights on UPN, not UPN, um, CW. No, what, I forgot which, is it on? WWE? I'm trying to remember what channel it comes on in the States on Fridays. Fridays, that would be uh, sci-fi, is it? Sci-fi, there you go. Thank you, Jesus. I'm yeah. losing it. Anyway, I'm tired. Um, it came on, it came on sci-fi channel on Friday nights. SmackDown was on from 8 to 10. Thundercats came on 8.30. So the way it works is that they chart things called, you know, along demographic lines. Right, right. So the demographic for Thundercats would have been 12 to 25. Mm -hmm. So that same, for the yeah. same demographic is the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah. So, people who watch stuff at eight o'clock, and this is just, just this has been mathematically proven. When people start watching a show that's more than that's an hour, which is basically an hour long, they're not going to turn it off at the half hour mark to start so watching something, something else. else. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. So the first mistake that was made was that Thundercats came on during SmackDown. Then there were no toy commercials for it. The only way you would have yeah. seen the toy is if you went to a toy store. You like, should have had the toy commercials on SmackDown. <laughs> that would have been brilliant, but mm -hmm. of course, anyway. So in the States, you have like Target, um, Kmart. There's not a really, like, Toys R Us is almost out of business. So there's really not even a lot of places to buy action figures anymore. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you didn't let anybody know that they existed yeah. meant that an extremely small population of people. Does not know. Right, and the niche market is those dudes who don't have, I hate to say, they don't have lives, they live in their parents' basement. <laughs> and what they do is they get up when the store just, opens. Um, totally half of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, I don't know about Barbados, but in the yeah. States, there is a stereotype. Yeah. And I never, I was never one of them. I was a hard, I'm still a hardcore geek, but you would never know it. Mm -hmm. So the trick is that these guys, these are the type of guys that get up on Saturday and morning and go to the Toys R Us and wait for them to open the box yeah. so they can get yeah. the special figure out. Mm -hmm. Well, they never really, mm -hmm. 
you know, we didn't have that. We didn't have the people waking up early to get the special figure because there were no special figures. It was just the figures that they came out with. Right. So they sat in the stores. They didn't sell. The DVDs came out very late in the cycle. So that meant basically there's no sale. There's no extra money coming in. Show got canceled. And that's what happened at Thundercats. That's a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, you know, Young Justice, it happened with uh, Green Lantern, the animated series. And so, I mean, once, Tron. Apple, once Apple wants the one, nobody realizes that maybe we should put some more effort into no. It's a money thing, man. I mean, before I worked in the industry, I didn't understand anything. And when I went to my first meeting, I mentioned, hey, we should do a series based on this. And the guy turned around and said, you can't make toys out of that. And it hit me like a, it was like, it was like that. I was that's like, what it's all about. I was like, what? He's like, oh, that's a great concept. We can't make toys out of that. So I sat so there and I was like. worth considering. Yeah, they're not going to even go anywhere with it because you can't make toys out of it. If you can't make a merchandisable thing. Merchandise. Right. And like I was saying, I've been saying this all weekend. You know, if you have, you look at the shows that have lasted in the modern era, lasted more than like two or three years. You've got Ben 10, which is in this like fourth or fifth iteration at this point. Mm -hmm. Then you have uh, Adventure Time. You know, both, both on Cartoon Network, both not going anywhere, you know, because there's an Adventure Time toilet paper, there's yeah. flip-flops, there's beach towels, there's backpacks, there's eyeglasses, there's hats, there's t-shirts, <laughs> you know, and the trick is, that's what matters. Yeah. So if, I mean, the Thundercats logo, the line, you know, the red one, is yeah. probably one of the most beautiful graphically designed things I've ever seen in my life. It's like the Superman logo. Yeah. Anywhere on Earth, yeah. anywhere on Earth, you see this, right? You know it. And you know it, right? Like the, Disney, like the ears, you know, people know it. And McDonald's, Arch, you know, you know that, right? So I felt that they missed the opportunity of branding. They didn't put the image out there enough, and not everybody had a chance to see it. So therefore, things didn't work the way I we would have all preferred. So it's all good, though. I mean, I, I, I'll say that I'm very happy to have had that experience because it changed my life in ways I couldn't imagine. You know, so I mean, it's sad, but well, for what we got, I'm glad you did it too. It was, it was yeah. great. I'm sorry we didn't get more. Sad, but yeah. So moving forward, you're diversifying the things that you're doing. Can you give us an idea of some of the projects that you have lined up? Well, let's see. Uh, well, I mentioned the uh, Watson and Holmes book, and I'm, the issue I'm doing is dealing with, and I'm not gay. Or, obviously, I'm not lesbian, but I'm not gay or anything like that or bisexual. But I did an issue about because um, it's basically a mystery story, a mystery thriller. And I wanted to talk about the issues of transgender and gay uh, Americans, because there's a lot of stuff going on with that, particularly with the, the marriage and all that stuff. So I did an issue where we did uh, a mystery about who committed a murder, and if they were gay, if it was a gay person or not. And I really wanted to bring that in there. So it was a very tense story to write. We were very concerned that we didn't want to do the wrong thing, particularly me not being a part of that community. So I did a lot of research, I made sure, because sex trafficking is also a big deal. Yeah. And I tied it to that. So when that issue comes out, it may generate some controversy, but I definitely wanted to do that to get people talking about it, you know? So, because um, I also, I work in Hollywood, and you know, there's a lot of gay and lesbian people there. Mm -hmm. So if you are homophobic, you don't want to go to LA because, seriously, because the people who control the industry are very rich, white, gay men. <laughs> seriously, I mean, really. Yeah, no, and I believe it. If you come out of your mouth with like, oh, I hate gay people, you know, Buster Rhymes says something about gay people and Buster Rhymes is banished. Yeah, that's, that's true. Think about it. I mean, seriously. Yeah. So it's a thing where, so I'm working on that. And um, like I said, I'm doing Armour Rodders. And I'm working with a bunch of other black and Latino and, uh, and also women creators. We're trying to put together in the future a new company of creators of color and other diverse people because the industry desperately needs that kind of push yeah, right now. It's, and it's awkwardly fumbling yeah. around that, that 
you yeah. know, the race thing and really making a mess of it, just not getting it straight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other story, man. As far as um, writing for comics or writing for a TV show, mm-hmm. um, how yeah. is it different? Well, okay, well, that's a great question. Um, TV is everything's fluidly moving and you have a very short amount of time to kind of make sure the audience understands. One of the things you learn in film school, I learned in film school, I don't know all film schools are different, but when you write television, you only have about between 60 seconds to two minutes to keep the people watching, particularly if you're not familiar with the show. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Because right now, we have more entertainment options in, his, in human Seven. history. I mean, people can get whatever they want from so many places, yeah. right? So now, that's why a lot of shows will start out with something blowing up, or somebody getting killed, or somebody having sex, or somebody getting punched. You know, they do that so that, oh, okay, let me watch this. That's why those shows like CSI and NCIS and all those, you know, alphabet shows, they're... Ex- murder. Start with the murder. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. start with the murder, yeah. or someone, you know, doing something real sexy, like Castle. I love that show, Castle, right? You know, Nathan Fillion, great show. Mm-hmm. But if you notice how it opens, it's always some kind of wacky crap. Yeah. And then it's like, and he says something crazy, and then bam, so you're hooked. You know? yeah, so yeah, but that's beautiful. Yeah. So that's the difference. With TV, you have a very short amount of time. With comics, you have five pages to grab people. Also, when you write comics, what you're doing as a screenwriter, a scriptwriter, is you're writing descriptions of, sti- of still images. One of the biggest issues a lot of new writers is they write a comic book like panel, you write a panel, like a description, panel one, panel two, panel three. They'll write it as if those people are actually doing mm-hmm. things. No, you have to write a comic book script from the perspective if somebody gave you a bunch of Polaroid pictures, like the old days, you know, you wave mm-hmm. it like right. the Polaroid picture. Mm-hmm. If you had a bunch of those, describe them in a story. Yeah. So you write in this picture, you know, panel one, uh, you know, Spider Man sits on the side of a building, you know, it's windy, trash bowls, blah. Like, you can show the trash, but you can't say Spider Man sits on the side of a building and then swings. No, the next panel is him, you know, yeah. swinging. That's something, it's very difficult to learn. Mm-hmm. It took me years, and I've been, I started, the first comics I wrote were absolutely horrible because I didn't know what I was doing. We didn't have an editor. We didn't have anybody saying, hey, you know, this is not how you tell that story. I mean, I, I made so many mistakes, and it hurt my career because we didn't have people. Saying, hey, you shouldn't do it that way. So that's the main difference is that with TV, it, it, it's a sh- you, you have a shorter description, but you can have things constantly moving forward. Every line of dialogue and period and everything should be moving the story forward. But if you have a comic book, you can play around a little bit with like descriptions and scenes. You can mm-hmm. have things happen and you can set up some visual metaphors. In television, you don't have that luxury. And in, in, you don't have that luxury, but in especially uh, animation, animation is 22 minutes long. You got a very short amount of time to, com- to to communicate your ideas. I mean, the best show in recent memory to do that was Batman the Animated Series from uh, the 1990s, okay. Paul Dini mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Tim version, right. yeah. and they managed to say so much in a, just a couple of scenes. Man. You know, I mean, I think about all the episodes I love. I mean, there was the one with uh, you know, it's called I Am the Night, where he goes. To, he, it starts with him at Crime Alley and he lays the roses down, yeah. and like you know, you don't have to say anything. There's no dialogue. Yeah. It's just bam, right there, mm-hmm. you know. And they managed to do that for like what four or five years, and it's just like Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah. to get to that point. So animation, and it, it, think about this. And I, and I know everybody's seen like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Mm-hmm. Think about how much information is conveyed in like seven minutes. Yeah, those like, are really short. Right, and like yeah. the best one I can talk about is the one where they with they dancing with the rednecks as the hillbillies, and they're like, and he does a square dance. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's called Hillbilly Hair. It's one of the greatest yeah. episodes of ever. He's like coal mine beer, and they did one, the, and they go up the side of the mountain, and they beat each other up. Like in that seven minutes, you get this big giant ass story mm-hmm. with these rednecks and hillbillies fighting Bugs Bunny, and he turns the tables on them, and he sings a song going up the side of the mountain, and they walk off the side of the cliff. But that little bit, so much. Think about the Roadrunner and Coyote. Yeah. How many, how many t- I mean, those traps, you figured, I mean, somebody sat down and devised those traps and then animated it. And there's no dialogue. Yeah, yeah. It's just, the sounds tell you the story. Yeah. That's the type of thing in animation that you, you don't really get to do this with a lot of, because live action, it costs, everything is about cost, right? In animation, you, don't, you can drop boulders and blow the planet up, but you have to do it in a way that fits the story. And a really crappy animation is the stuff that just has stuff happen. And people think it's brilliant. No, it's stupid because you're not telling a story. It's all about A, B, C, and D. You know, it's very sense arithmetic. This person, the cat, wants to kill the mouse. The mouse wants the cheese, but the dog wants to beat up the cat. It's very simple. Do you know how far we've gotten away from that? <laughs> we just need to get back to just like character A wants this, character B wants to stop yeah. him, and then what happens? So they're approaching the medium wrong. So it's kind of. I believe. Yes, I believe that a lot of people, and this is not to diss the Japanese animation at all, because I'm heavily I was just gonna talk influenced about by that. But a lot of people don't understand Japanese culture. They don't. They literally don't. They just see it from our perspective, from the North America or Western world. It, their perspective and ours is different. The best example I'll ever give, and, and this is something that changed my life, because my Japanese buddy told me this. I don't know if you've all seen Princess Mononoke, right? Yeah. A Miyazaki yes. film. Okay. Now at the end, remember the little things that. The Kadamas, the little white things? Yeah, the, All right. the forest spirits. The forest spirits, right? Now, after the god of the forest is assassinated, murdered by the humans, yeah. all the Kadama die, right? <laughs> then all the stuff happens at the end, and then there's one more left. He walks out the woods, mm-hmm. final shot, and does that, and it fades to black. Right. The music plays, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, there's another. The forest god isn't really dead. And my Japanese friend says, what? He is dead. And I'm like, no, he's not. There's a Kadama. So this went on for, like, about a week. Mm-hmm. So then a third person walked up to me, and I should have known this because you know, I, I study world culture. He says, Brandon, you realize you're looking at it from a Christ-based society mm-hmm. because in Christianity, the theme of resurrection is there. In Japan, it's not. Yeah. You're looking at it from the perspective of resurrection. They're not thinking that way. I'm thinking that way. I put Christianity on that reading, mm-hmm. and I had to realize that a lot of people here tend to put Western ideas onto an Eastern creation. So we're looking at things from the wrong perspective a lot it's of times. So it's cultural context. And it's exactly. It's arguing at key Exactly. Yeah, it's cultural relativism. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like looking in a telescope the wrong way. Like, you're supposed to look at a telescope the little way and open out. But what we're doing, we're looking down, backwards. So what's happening is that a lot of American and, well, Western, not even just American, a lot of Western creators are looking at animation the wrong way. They're looking at all the wacky stuff and all this crazy imagery and all this Which kinetic, is selling. Right. Yeah. But... You're sacrificing story for, uh, for, for spectacle, yeah. and you see Flash it with movies. Yeah, absolutely. You see it in the movies. I mean, tran- the Michael Bay Transformers movies <laughs> are the absolute best example of no substance. I mean, I thought I'm the biggest. Trust me, you don't. You guys don't know me personally, but I was one of the biggest Transformers fans on earth. Literally, I mean, I lost friendships because I was a Transformers fan, mm-hmm. and I sat in Transformers three, and I'm sitting here like, why am I bored? I'm watching giant robots beat the shit out of a city, throw stuff around, throw buildings at each other. In all this time. Right, and I'm just sitting here like, man, I really want to go outside right now. I never thought I would get to that point in my life. I, I, because it's all oh, flash, no substance. There was no story. Yeah. Like You didn't care what they were right. doing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean you, you look at it, you think about like the things that stuck with me. Like I remember seeing um, 
let's say, uh, like Return of the Jedi, right? The scene when Vader picks up the Emperor and throws him off as he's electrocuting Luke. I can tell you, I saw that in the Black Theater in Baltimore in 1983. The minute Vader grabbed the Emperor, you would have thought, you know, slavery just ended. Like, the whole place exploded in this joy. And we're talking about the inner city Baltimore in the early 80s. Yeah. People were like, ah, because every, the emotion had been built. Now, if you started the movie and Luke was just chopping people up and nobody cared, no, Luke had to earn his respect. The audience is not the audience is, Right, because, you know, you saw the kid get his hand cut off. He's impulsive. Who's not impulsive when you're 20? You know, you, we all did stupid stuff when we were 20. People say, I wouldn't do that if I was you. You do it anyway, and you're like, well, I should have listened. Yoda and Obi-Wan said, dude, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I can't help you. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go save Han and Leia, which they would have got out anyway because Lando was going to save him. But he had to learn the hard way because you built that emotional expectation. But in Transformers, it's like Shia LaBeouf and that model chick. And, oh, and I was, so my point is that I just think that our modern creators are losing out on what really matters. And you look at a lot of the Korean movies from South Korea, and they do these science fiction and action and horror movies, and people really connect to them. Like The Host, that's a good one, right? The Host didn't cost a lot of money, but everyone was talking about it. Why? Because you had a story. Blair Witch Project. Simple, yeah. simple. We lost in the woods. <laughs> but guess what? I was sitting there like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I'm, I don't want to go in the woods anymore. You know, I haven't gone in the woods. I mean, I'm not even joking about that. Because it, 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 you got the story of these kids, and anyone could put themselves in the position of being lost in the woods as it gets dark. But you felt something because you, you got a character, you got a story. It was just wasn't like, ah, oh, the Blair Witch came out and started chopping people up. You never even saw it. Yeah. Or it. You never saw it. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So I think storytelling is being sacrificed, and I think that a lot of young American kids, well, kids, period, just don't understand. They're not getting exposed to it because even in the 80s, with like He Man and Voltron and She Ra and Robotech and uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers, the people who created that, even though they were selling toys, still managed to put really good stories in there. Like, there were some really good episodes of He-Man. Like, one, it was one toward the end where he renounced being He-Man and threw his sword over because he thought he killed somebody, but it turned out Skeletor faked the death. Mm -hmm. And the whole episode was just, a, it was called The Price of Power. And it stuck with me now because I remember it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is actual, this would have made a great movie. Like, you could have made a He-Man movie, not the horrible one we got with Dolph Lundgren, but... Uh, I love that show. Love that <laughs> oh, my God, For the wrong reasons, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I saw that in the theater opening day. hilarious. And the only thing that made me mad, because Skeletor, the guy who was Frank Langella played Skeletor yeah, yeah, yeah. perfectly, yeah. you know? What made me mad about that movie was that nothing looked like the cartoon oh, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Man in Arms was there, but Teela doesn't look like that. No. <laughs> I was like... That's not Teela. Teela's supposed to be good looking. This woman. <laughs> anyway, so um, I had an issue with that, but I, I kind of felt that during the 80s, we got stories. We got really good stories. Even the Ghostbusters cartoon. And you think about it, all the big science fiction creators, like J. Michael Straczynski, who created Babylon 5, and um, like Ron Moore, all these people, they worked on cartoons in the 80s developing their craft. And they told amazing stories during that period of time. We're not getting that kind of. We get like little like Joaquin Del Santos. He's a uh, animation director. Glenn Murakami. You get a couple people like that, but the overall setup isn't that great anymore. You don't have what it great feels stories. Like to me is that they consult a formula on how are we going to mm -hmm. make this story you know? and make money. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know. So, so um, question. Um, sure. In terms of um, Japanese animation, mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of that, so I'm not really willing yeah, to. Yeah, Mark and I like anime. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not. Okay. Disney. Got you. So okay. I'm just curious. Um, anime, tons of them come out all the time. Yes. Like they're doing well. What's the difference between that and Western 
action style and mission like the reason Young other Justice than, was cancelled. Other than the fact that it has a large audience. Right. Young Justice was cancelled and whatnot, but well, though, I don't think Japanese animation they make toys out of those. But they do. Oh, yeah. They do. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And live action okay. films. Mm-hmm. And so what's the difference? Is it a cultural again? But I mean, I know mm-hmm. Western audiences love that stuff as well. So, okay. Well, shit, that's a big one. That's a good question. That's a huge question. Well, all right. Well, the Japanese animation industry goes back just like the American one, Mm -hmm. but the Americans started it. And a lot of the Japanese were heavily influenced by Walt Disney and a lot of American animators, okay? The reason why those eyes look like that is because Mm -hmm. if you look at the early Disney eyes, the the Disney eyes look like that. That's where they got that style from. A lot of people don't know that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that, I mean, just like in America, the Japanese have the really good stuff the middle stuff and the stuff just made to sell toys. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the stuff is made to you know, make money, you know? Um, the, the feature length movies, like the big stuff, like the Akira, for example. Akira was a comic that did extremely well. Mm-hmm. And Ghost in the Shell is another thing. You know, there's, there was some stuff made by really in, incredibly talented and brilliant creators that was made to push, like to, to, to tell a really good story. Yeah. Then there's the stuff that's just made to sell toys. The difference is that in America, and this is the real difference, mm-hmm. we tend to think of kids as stupid. Yep. Yeah. You know, in the Western world, not everywhere, but mm-hmm. particularly in the United States. That, that's my context. Talk, talk down yeah. to kids. The Japanese have kid stuff, but a lot of the stuff that's aimed to like eight to twenty, like eight to twelve, it's not stupid. Like Gundam, the original Gundam, not Gundam, not awful Gundam Wing, but like the original Gundam, like Gundam and Gundam Zeta, and then like the Gundam movies and, and like the original series, like Stardust Memory, Gundam 0083, mm-hmm. yeah. and then um, Shars Counterattack, which is probably the greatest animated space movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, those stories were geared toward a younger audience, but you watch them, now you're like, Jesus Christ, the writing yeah. is up here. Yeah. And you wonder why like kids over, you know, in other countries are like, so much smarter than American. American kids are just like, not doing well academically. Because there's this whole thing where you have to protect them and bubble wrap them and you know, the world's okay. And I'm like, no, listen. You tell a kid, don't do that, I wouldn't drink battery acid if I was you, they probably won't. Or you show them, this is what happens when you drink battery acid, don't hide it. Yeah. The whole thing with liquor, alcohol, and drugs, because there's all this, you can't drink, don't drink, drink, drink. So then 15-year-olds want to drink because you're telling them they can't. But then in certain cultures in the United States, like my grandfather let me have beer when I was like 12 or 13, I had beer, and I was like, I, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I, I, I didn't really drink, drink, like drink to get drunk until I got to college, and I was like in my 20s. Because I got to college when I was 17. I didn't really drink drink until like my junior year. So it's because I, it wasn't a thing where it was like kept away from me. Yeah. Like, because you have serious issues in the U.S. with kids and alcoholism and drug abuse. But it's because it's being hidden. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, you don't have those same problems because early on, they're like, here, here's wine. There's wine. We're dinner. Have wine. It's not going to destroy you. Just don't drink too much of it. Okay. It's not a secret. Oh, if you're going to have sex, use a condom, right? But, oh, don't have sex. Don't have sex. So you tell everybody don't do something. What are they going to do? They're going to do it. So... I think the difference is Japanese kids aren't babied on a level that Western kids, particularly American kids are. So a lot of the animation seems a lot more intense and involved and complicated, but it's only because they're not condescending. So that's why I think you see a lot of American, particularly Western kids, particularly in the Western world, really gravitate to it because it's not talking down to them all the mm-hmm. time. Because right. even something as, I mean, I, I hated Dragon Ball Z. I know a lot of people love it. Not that's, a Dragon Ball that's, Z fan. That's, that's not a fan. That's, that's, that's the only one I Right, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people are fans. But even Dragon Ball Z had this thing about telling these big, long, drawn-out oh, yeah, yeah. epics. Yeah, that was, I mean, yeah. the reason I didn't watch, I, I tried to watch it once or twice, and I saw an episode where it was like, he stood in the corner like, mm! 
for like 20 <laughs> minutes. The whole episode. Episode. And I was like, am I going to see this fight? Like, and I was like, okay. It took him like eight episodes to throw a punch at that's Freezer. Yeah. And that's, I watched the Freezer saga. Yeah. And I was just like, this is what people are getting excited. I must. I should have been four because if I was four, I would have sat there and been like, "Oh boy, they're fighting!" And then the fight lasts thirty seconds, and then it's over. And I'm like, "What?" Anyway, so. Um, it's actually a subculture, Brandon, of removing all of the filler from Dragon yes, Ball Z. Yes, yes, yes. And those are great. <laughs> right, they just I saw show it, yeah. the fights all as one hey. kind of thing. Somebody did that with Naruto on, yeah. on, on YouTube. It works too. so much better. But uh, but yeah, so I think that. But then, and then there have been animated films, like I mentioned, Akira and uh, Memories, also by Katsuhiro Otomo. There was um, the Star Blazers, you know, yeah, Space yeah. Cruiser Yamato. I love it. Yeah. You know, like they did the movie versions of them, and they were very. They cut all the nonsense, and they just stuck to the really dark. Side the adult story with people dying and getting shot up and all that. Man, the creature you know, Star Blazer. That, that stuff was awesome. Right. And so when you think about it, you think about how what grabs you emotionally, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of what it is. And I think that American animation, certain, some of it, like the movies, like Transformers, a movie, the original, when Optimus Prime dies. Oh, yeah. That emotional, I mean, I cried. I, I cried. I was. That's what, a part of your I was 12 years old. Yeah, that's a part and of I went to see it in the theater the day it came out, and I sat there and I was like, they killed Optimus Prime. <laughs> I was mad. I was like, man, it's <laughs> you know. So, uh, but you know, you had that emotional connection. I don't. I think that the reason why people kind of jump around a lot because they did not getting grabbed by that anything. emotional right. connection. I think you know. For example, Harry Potter. I think the first movie, it has such an emotional weight because kids who didn't lose their parents are like, wow, I can't imagine losing my parents. And the kids who did and have or have like a bad family situation, they're like. Oh man, I, I know what he feels like. I wish somebody took me to a magic academy. So I think that, I mean, J.K. Rowling is brilliant because she understood what kids actually are afraid of. Kids are afraid of losing their family. Kids, right? Because there's an old saying a parent has to do a lot to make you not love them. Yeah. Right? A lot. And some parents do. They do a lot. And a lot, and a lot of people in our generation have this thing where our parents are not the parents we would want. So, you know, Harry Potter is an example of that. And the Japanese, and so you see, Harry Potter was created by the British. Yeah. It's not American, once again. So you have a situation where once you connect emotionally and once you have an emotional connection to, the, to your audience, then they will stay with you forever. And that's what you're seeing, this devotion to anime because, you know, for example, Evangelion, mm -hmm. you know, which is one of the biggest, you know, mecha series of all time. You know, I got emotionally connected to the character, so when all the bad things happened to him, because that was one of the most depressing endings in the history of mankind. Everyone dies. Like, yeah. everyone's dead. We're done. You know, that's it. Everybody's dead. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, you get emotionally attached, and you don't have that anymore. You have these, like, Young Justice was one of those series that made people emotionally attached. You got yeah. attached to them. You can't. You gave a damn what happened to it, even though it's this ridiculous world. Can you try to explain what's going on? Well, this is guy, and he has these tubes, and it comes from this planet called Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. His name is Darkseid. What? His name is Why White. are you walking Darkseid? away? Wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. You know, I, well, his is a guy. He's half black, but he has blonde hair, and he lives in the bottom of the sea. And his name's Aqualad. What? It's like, <laughs> what? You know, you try to explain this, but you still get connected to it, you know? And I think the Japanese are really good at that, and we're not anymore. So I think that's why you see... Well, at least the American um, animation industry isn't as good as they used to be. And they still do good stuff. I mean, Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender is a perfect example of how to emotionally grab an audience and stick and keep them with you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what else is out there? I mean, like Green Lantern's gone and Thundercats is it's gone. About and the, uh, the, Beware the Bat. Beware the Bat. That's the new one. I haven't really given that the mm -hmm. chance I should. But, uh, yeah, so I think that, you know, anime isn't any better. 
I think what they did was just not condescend. You know, because there are examples of good stuff being made here. And the majority of anime actually is absolutely horrible. You know, we don't see it because they, only, they don't let out but as much. But there are so many stuff. series. Right. There's so much that when you get the cream of the crop, yeah. it's so advanced. So yeah. we say all you anime know. is awesome because that's all we've seen. We get it. Yeah. But I rem- and I'll tell you something. I was, you know, I came up in the 80s and we didn't get anime. You had to get bootlegs from conventions like this in the yeah, States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like subs. horrible. Yeah. They all like, shh. You know, back when you had the tracking on the mm-hmm. VCR, you like, let me get the image. And it would be like going like this. That's my you copy know. of Bastard. There you go. <laughs> so... We had a situation, so you know, I came up when all the anime titles that were officially released were absolutely horrible. There was a period when Streamline, when they first came out, oh. and other than Akira, because you had Akira on one end, and uh, yeah, it was Akira, and it was the first one, and you had all this garbage and sex and rape stuff. And I was just like, all right, man, like, come on, like, come on, like, really? The first time you see it, like, oh my God, she's being raped by an octopus. You know, oh, but then everything that came out after that, oh, she's being raped by a monster. She's being raped by an alien. And I'm that, like, that became synonymous with anime for a Yeah, while. for a long time. Yeah. I used to work in an animation company that was based out of Boston. And we used to get, because they, ABC News did this thing about uh, Pokemon giving people seizures, right? Yeah, I remember. In that, that same report was about the, the hentai, the rapes, the rape stuff, right? So the people used to come in our store, well, you guys so raped. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, what the fuck are you, excuse me, like, what are you talking you about? <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, well, you're selling this stuff to, I'm like, no, we sell Pokemon, we sell Gundam, yeah. we sell Ninja Scroll, which does have rape, um, <laughs> we sell, um, what else was popular in the late 90s, we had Evangelion, a record of the Lotus Wars, yeah, we sold Lotus in the Shell, yeah, all that stuff, we sold all that stuff. Does anybody I, remember Lock the Superman? Who? Lock, Lock, yes, I remember that. Okay, right. Yeah, Yeah, then we had like that. There was a horrible one called like Mars Wars or Wars on Mars, and that was one of the worst animes. Oh, that was awful. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, anime has its good and bad, but you got to remember that we don't get to see the bad stuff. It just never make it. Yeah, just not popular. And and the market crashed. Like the Blu-ray market and the DVD market for anime is almost gone in the United States now. So everyone's streaming, everyone's downloading illegally and torrenting everything. I mean, people got all the episodes of Naruto because of, uh, you know, torrent, mm-hmm. you know, and including the filler. So, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Any more questions? Um, quick question. Um, yeah. What do you think about the current state of the comic industry in, in the U.S.? <sighs> wow. I'm right, actually, I'm writing. Uh, what I was writing when you guys came in, I'm writing, doing an interview with a newspaper mm-hmm. about this. Wow. Um, Let's see. Where do I start? Are you reading comics right now? I can, do. Yeah. Okay. Brian, fifty two and stuff. Start with the big two. Right, okay, yeah. Marvel and DC. All right. I have New friends there, so I have to be Marvel careful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I'll say. The problem is, and this is my issue, is that there's a very small but extremely vocal minority of yep. racist geeks that control what what people, what people think they want. So, for example. When Firestorm a few years ago was made black, the character Firestorm in DC Comics, these geeks went online and argued for like about seven straight months. And then eventually, a year after that, they stopped. Because they wanted Danny back. They wanted the white guy back. Any attempt at diversity of any of the big characters, like when Spider Man was, when they made the ultimate Spider Man, Mm -hmm. Miles Morales, who's half black and half Puerto Rican. It was like somebody raped everybody's mom or gave them <laughs> HIV or something. It was just like, yo, why? What are you mad about? Like, mm-hmm. they, Peter Parker is there. Yeah, you don't see Tony McGuire. They haven't touched your Peter. Yeah, right. Still there. Yeah, but the thing is, in them, it was like, 
you, you, you're destroying this perfect little white thing with your evil blackness. Mm -hmm. Stay away from it. That's their attitude. It's like, stay away from it with your evil blackness. Mm -hmm. That's the, the kind of attitude. with the idea of, of when people say, like, why aren't there more female characters or whatever? And yeah. People are like, yes. no, we don't, yes. we don't want that in well, our Well, most of these guys, they, they, the closest they get to a woman is when their mom throws them out, you know? <laughs> um, so now the other half of yeah. our <laughs> No, really. No, the problem is, so these geeks have an inordinate amount of sway in what the editors think people mm -hmm. want. So if you have like 3% of a population determining what 90% of the content is, you're going to have a disconnect. There's going to be a discordance. And this is what happens. So the American comic book industry is kind of aiming at this tiny minority of people who seem larger. But they're not that big because there's not that many comic book stores anymore. Yeah. I was going to ask you about what yeah. you, the, when, as a follow-on about the reduction of local comic book stores as well yeah. as part of it. <sighs> wow, I mean, because I think that's I could a talk big about, deal. Yeah, I could well. talk about that all night. Let's let's start at the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. The issue is this: that the generation of kids who are out now, like if you go outside, you have a lot more video game stuff content than yep. comic books. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a pop culture convention, it's based theory in theory in the comic book world. Mm -hmm. Everything out there is video game, and then mm -hmm. secondly, anime, or films or anime, right? And then third, all the way down to the bottom is comic. Correct, book, right? That hap that's happening everywhere. It's not yeah. just in Barbados. I mean, it's yeah, everywhere. everywhere, right? So. When you go to, for example, the big one is San Diego Comic-Con, if any of you can go, I would 1,000% recommend it because it will change your life in the better way because you will meet people and you will build your career. When people see you there, they know that you're serious, you know? Um, the issue is that these young kids have had two generations of new video games. So video games starting with 96 and the release of the PlayStation 1 changed the world because now as opposed to the 2D world we were, a lot of many of us grew up with, with Super Mario Brothers and Zelda before the Ocarina of Time and all that. You know, everything was 2D. Final Fantasy, all that before Final Fantasy VII. It's really 3D. Right. And it's so, a story. Yeah, so with 3D, you no longer feel like, oh, I'm just reading this and I can go through it in about, you can read a comic book in like two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. But you look at it from another perspective, you look at it from a much other perspective. Yes. The trick is this, there's some really great shit out there. I don't know if it goes international, because there are shows on AMC, uh, HBO. We get all yeah, that's yeah. good. We're Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Culture. No, I say that because I talk to people we get all the time. All oh, good, good, good. Yeah. good. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So you can choose the good stuff. Yeah, the, the reason I the reason I say that because I meet people from like Puerto Rico and I've even meet more well, Cuba. They don't get shit, but mm -hmm. I meet people from you know Puerto Rico and DR and Haiti because you know there's a lot more of those folks in the states. And they were like, "Well, I watched this show and that show," and I'm like, "You watch Desperate Housewives <laughs> all day, every day?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "That's not America. That's nothing like that." Like Breaking Bad is closer to the reality mm. for like particularly white America because a lot of white men, white people lost all their money in the recession, so there's a lot of poor whites dealing drugs. Yeah. That's like the movie, this TV show, Justified. It's on FX, right? Yeah, yeah. Deals with the drug, the meth trade in Kentucky, on mm. all those old poor white areas right now. They are all drug dealers. Breaking Bad is just one tiny image of that. Mm -hmm. Now you don't see that, like if you watch like MSNBC, they do shows called Drugs Inc. and they talk about all this stuff. But when you watch like the big TV series, everything is happy and we're all mm -hmm. just having sex and driving nice cars and mm -hmm. tanned and we're all pretty and skinny and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but you go to these places, nobody looks like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, come on. That's why I get mad with like the CW. Like I love Arrow, but everybody on the CW looks like a model. I'm like, nobody yeah, in the United yeah, States looks like this anymore. It's true because when I, well, you know, when I was a kid, is, I used to I was, watch. Sorry. No, I'm just saying, it's a little thing. When I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of TV shows that I see everybody looking that way. Mm -hmm. When I first went to the States, I was like, But even what I was saying to them even more, like when we, in the 80s when we were kids and now, before, mm. like say when, 
yeah. the 90s happened when Baywatch happened and all of a sudden everyone was like because there were all these gorgeous girls mm-hmm. but before there was more like real people. a wider yeah. range of people yeah. on TV I was about to and say and now that. everybody on TV is gorgeous yeah. all Thank the you. time there's a look like, called like, the CW I mean, right and so the CW has a look, look. Yes. Yes. even other, other channels like most of the things everybody is like stupidly ridiculously gorgeous yes. and I was, you, you, that was, I was just about to say that I was saying that I wrote a paper in college about this I said the reason I said in the future we're going to be a very superficial nation because in the 80s and 70s, you look at all the TV shows from the 70s, particularly the 70s, yeah, All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Good Times, you know, different people, strokes. real people. Right, Facts of Life, right? All created by Norman Lear, incidentally. You know, yeah, all these, but they all look like human beings. Yeah. Like, they, the girls look like girls. Like, there'd be some really hot ones, mm-hmm. and then someone's in the middle, and then not so attractive, like real people. You know, like, there'd be some hot dudes, and then Funny regular thing, dudes. The hot, one, the hot ones were almost caricatures. They were the, they were the laughing stock of the show. Yeah. They were well, the serious characters. Well, it depends characters. on the show. But sure, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. in the 80s, right. for me, the... the the hot girl in, in like, um, sorry, I can't remember the show I went off on, but the hot okay. girl in the show was the, the ditz. She was the, oh, right. the, the oh, stupid like, one. Well, like, like the same way the bell or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Three's Company. You know, yeah, Chrissy yeah, yeah, was stupid. Yeah, yeah. She that's, was a pretty one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of permeated everything, though. I mean, even in terms of, let's get off topic, but even mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. music, back in the 70s and 80s, you had singers who could sing because they were oh, okay. music videos. Right. Yeah, yeah, I argue that they're even in the 80s. Pop music. There's manufactured pop music. Yeah, and people can sing. Yeah, and now I mean, there's manufactured pop music. The people can sing. In the 70s, you had talent, real talent. But no, yeah. I mean, there was you, a got, lot you, of you have a little bit on a music video. If not, you're not gonna sell. Nobody yeah. is for sure. That's well, true. that's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, but then we're we're moving away from maybe, the comic book question. Yeah. I want to bring sure. us back yes, to absolutely things that are happening with. The, so you're talking about the loss yeah. of LCSs and stuff. Right. So local comic book stores have, for all intents and purposes, started to die out because Marvel, back in the late 90s, did this whole direct market nonsense. And what they did was say, okay, well, if you want any comic books, you need to go to your local comic book store. But then Diamond, the flip side, said, Mm -hmm. oh, well, whatever you order, we're not taking those back. Mm -hmm. Whatever you order, you keep Mm -hmm. forever. Like, whatever you like, Mm -hmm. you keep what you kill, like in Riddick, right? So what winds up happening is um, comic book stores became notoriously conservative and terrified to order anything that wasn't a big Marvel or DC Mm -hmm. title. So that meant that the independent guy had even has, has literally now, has an even harder time of getting a market. Because let's say you own a comic book store, you have $10,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. And if you know you're gonna make $11,000 if you only buy Marvel and DC, you're gonna only order Marvel and DC. Yeah, because you're not gonna get Fantagraphics or Boom or no, whatever because no. people don't know those are already there and they're, exactly. they're not gonna ask for them. And if you get a Boom book, it'll be something written by some celebrity, right. you know, some nonsense like that. I mean, one of the biggest like things that happened was The Walking Dead did change things for the better because it let people know that there's other comic book companies other than Marvel and DC. I mean, mm-hmm. the, that that those graphic novels, the collections, they sell higher mm-hmm. than pretty much anything else in, yeah, science, in science fiction. Well. The trades of uh, The Walking Dead are like stupidly, ridiculously selling high. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've read them all. I mean, I'm okay with them. You know, I think it's a little bit too wordy at times because he's being cheap with the art. But you mm-hmm. know, I, I do believe that it has its place because you've got women who would not. The same women who watch Sex and the City watch. The Walking Dead. Women who would have never given a comic book a chance went back and bought the first one, Days Gone By. You know, and to me, that was an achievement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know Robert Kirkman personally. I mean, I've come into contact with him because the industry ain't that big. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that he was able to do, I don't know how he did that, but the fact that you had a zombie comic book during a time when nobody was doing zombie anything yeah. mm-hmm. suddenly blew up. And then suddenly, it's one of the biggest shows on TV with an extremely high female uh, viewership. I mean, ridiculously high for that type of show. I mean, come on, a horror show? You know? So, you know, um, 
I, the local comic book store is dying. Young kids are not being exposed to comics like we were. I and mean, they have more things that pull their attention. Video games. Yeah. Video games have killed, put the nail in the coffin of the American comic book. By default, if they're not doing anything else, they're just playing. Kids are just. I mean, because the thing is, it's what a kid sees. If, for example, you take fifty dollars to a comic book store. Comics are three ninety nine. How many comics can you get with? I can't do the math because I'm horrible. But I don't know how many comics you can get with fifty bucks. But you read them. You can read them all in about a half an hour to an hour. All of them. You buy a fifty dollar video game. You will play that sob for the next month. You buy Grand Theft Auto Five. For $55, $59, dollars, you could play that for the next year and a half and yeah. still be discovering new things in the game. What was that other one? The, the Elder Scrolls, uh, yeah. Skyrim, right? Yeah. Skyrim. You, can, you can still play Skyrim right yeah. now. The, the, the servers are down for the multiplayer, but you can still download new DLC content. Mm -hmm. Even with the, the Red Dead Redemption, that came out what four, five, three or four years ago. Uh, I love that you game. can still. They, they still I love that game. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you yeah, see what I'm saying? And even if you, right. you and each time you play it, it will be a different experience. So you're getting more from Mass it. Effect. Yeah. I mean, I Mass Effect. About. Jesus Christ. I mean, mm -hmm. I love Mass Effect. And they made a comic book, and I'm saying this is not as fun. I'm playing the comic book down. This is not as fun as the game. I went back to the game, and, like, and I bought the comic because I wanted to support the fact that they were independent creators right. working on the Mass Effect comic book. Because Dark Horse, who are an image, I try to support them because they are some great books, yeah. right? Yeah. But they usually get those licenses, but they hire independent people to do those books, and that's important, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, one last question for me. Um, sure. Do you think, you said Final Fantasy Coffin was uh, video games and yes. stuff like that, but um, what do you think about piracy, um, pirating comics, torrents, is that, has that harmed the industry? No, no? very little. No? I mean, the thing is this, you, you got to do the math on this, right? Mm -hmm. There are people, you look at the, the population of people who read comics, mm -hmm. not that big. That's then the population saying. of people who would actually bootleg them is even smaller. I mean, okay. it's a negligible effect. In fact, I can tell you this, I've torrented comics and went and bought them. Because I wanted to see what was going to happen. Because mm -hmm. this, to me, I'm not. Even though I work for digital comics publishers, mm -hmm. I'm very much a person who physically likes to turn, turn a page. Pages, yeah. I like to stare and look at stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that's awesome, and then show it to somebody, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I just don't know. I mean. I'm working in the this. You've seen yeah. um, the private eye. Um, I forgot Brian Michael Kate. Bonds. Yeah, the private publishing private eye. He's self self publishing a book. Mm -hmm. He has a big enough name to do it, and he's just selling it directly from his site with no DRM, no protection. Oh, he's really? just selling it mm -hmm. like that, and that to me is what I want the other industry to do. That, that's pay, what I want. You can pay no money, or you can pay whatever you think it's worth. Oh yeah, he's selling at any price from and zero off. And it's, yeah. it's so I'm absolutely like thrilled to give him my money, um, you know, every time that book comes out. Wow. And I want to push, I want to see more like that. That's to me what it what Well, thrilled that, you know, yeah, Mark and um, John Rogers' company. It's very similar. They, very they, similar. They're going to yeah. do the non-DRM stuff real soon. That's it for me. And I, I don't want your Comixology app. Right. I don't want your Marvel right. app. I, don't, I just want to read the book however I want. Exactly. And see, the thing is, Thrillbent is not being celebrated because they, the comic retailers are like, yo, stop that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what yeah. you doing, man? Stop that. So, but Mark Wade was like, look, guys, we are being anti-progressive. Like, this is what I, I said this years ago in many interviews, right? I think that 1997 was the year the comic book industry should have adopted a digital format. Because that's when AOL really blew up in the States. America Online, back when he was like, the cool, you had to yeah. dial in. I hated that dial yeah. <laughs> So 
1997, when AOL blew up and they were sending those awful discs everywhere, yeah. and Wizard Magazine yeah. used to have that yeah. big, yeah. stinking... Yeah. I hated that disc. Yeah. Yeah. Every 10,000 minutes, if you yeah. put, I'm like, yeah. what? I used you to get them down here, and it was, yeah. it was used to They were garbage. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we used them for Ninja Stars. <laughs> so when... Um, when Marvel and DC did not adopt a digital format in 1997, everybody, even, excuse me, Warren Ellis said this. Warren Ellis has a book of essays called Come In Alone. I strongly recommend everyone read it because it's, everything, he, this book was written in like 99. Everything he said in that book has happened. Everything. He said comic book stores are going to close down. And the reason it's called Come In Alone is because the final essay is that you, he, he, makes a, he writes a, a letter to the fanboys who are destroying the industry. And he says, all you guys have wanted is nonsense. All you guys have pushed for is sexist, ridiculous crap for years. And the next time you go into a comic book store, you're going to come in alone. And, you, and no one else is going to be there. That's why it's called that. And it's so true. Because the industry has had every opportunity to jump on a digital bandwagon. And they kept resisting it and resisting it to the point where their parent companies were like, what are you guys doing? You know, because Marvel got sold to Disney, and, they, and you know, suddenly, oh, well, digital, Marvel yeah. now. And Disney was like, are you out of your goddamn mind? What is wrong? And then Warner Brothers finally got on there, you know, said, oh, maybe we should do digital comics. Mm -hmm. You know, 10 years after the fact. It's like they're pretending the, um, the music industry didn't just go through this. We didn't just see this lesson. Mm -hmm. And once again, the comic book industry has this problem. It's stuck in this. It's, one of my buddies says the comic book industry is the deep south of pop culture. Mm -hmm. They're stuck in the, they're so stuck in 1955. <laughs> and they don't want to grow. They want to continue to do this, oh, let's keep everything else away, you know, this like Big Bang Theory kind of, eh, you know, I'm Sheldon, leave me alone, you know, mm -hmm. and that's the issue. It's like the Sheldons of the world, they're the ones on a D DC Comics message boards are known to be like the Q Klux Klan hangout spot, and not literally, but mm -hmm. you, you say anything about black, and then suddenly, why yeah. are you talking about, and we're black, and you know, we're just America, and I'm like, what? You know, it's like we're not, it's not, no one's saying we're not America. We're just saying other people live here. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I mean, a digital format, I prefer reading comics myself, but I understand why it's there because kids are not in comic book stores. Kids are on tablets and Kindles mm -hmm. and online all day. Mm -hmm. And if PlayStation and Microsoft were smart, or if Marvel and DC were smart, they would make a partnership with either one sure. and do digital streaming of comics mm -hmm. directly through the Xbox. Particularly yeah, the Xbox One, which is, well, both of them are going to be powerful, but I'm more of a Microsoft person. Um, I haven't bought a Sony product in forever. <laughs> um, I have reasons for that, because Sony did something to me. But the, when, they, when they said the, uh, what was that? The, um, the, what is it? Vita? Or the, the, before that. What was it uh, called? The, 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 the PSP. Yeah. They made the PSP sound like it was going to be sliced bread. <laughs> I went and bought it, and I was like, <laughs> so after that, because Sony has a marketing machine that's yeah. better than anybody else on earth. They could sell you AIDS, you know, and you buy, like, oh, I want that, you know. So, and I learned I'm not going to fall for Sony's nonsense ever again, yeah. ever. And I haven't. And so I've started, I mean, Microsoft has its problems. Sure. But I have not felt pandered to and lied to mm -hmm. as much as I was. I mean, Microsoft lies too, but they do not lie as much as Sony, did, yeah. you know. So I think that if I was working at Marvel or DC, I would say, hey, guys in development, Call Microsoft right now and get a Marvel app on the Xbox Live right now. And in that way, you could do that, that whole that bundle, like how they like to connect your whole life onto the Xbox. Mm -hmm. yep. Just press a button. You can download the latest X-Men. You can download the latest Avengers. I would do that. 
and that would still go by. Yeah. But they invented know. a new market with the Xbox marketplace. Thank I mean, you, stuff right? Wouldn't have happened. Just started happening on Xbox, and mm -hmm. like the guild and stuff really blew off. Oh, right? On, on yeah. Felicia, and no, and, stuff. and and see, and the only reason that show is popular because every guy thinks they have a chance with her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, she likes pretty boys. None of us. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> right? Exactly. Because <laughs> she's so accessible yeah. and so cute and sexy in her whole little pouty lip way, and you're like, she's alabaster skin and she's so hot, but you don't have a chance. <laughs> you don't have a chance. Uh, since we're a, a comic book podcast, yes. and um, we're going to wrapping up now, uh, what are you reading, and uh, oh. what's, what's, like, what are you into right now? I really like um, All New X-Men by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, I think that's, that's a fantastic that's a book. book. Yes. Um, I was very surprised because I, I'm not really the biggest Bendis superhero fan. Because I tried to read his Avengers stuff, and when... I was like, dude, you should write novels because you write too many goddamn words in a comic book. <laughs> because it's like, there was one time it was a page, right? And it was an image of Iron Man and then the whole side of the page was just word balloons. And I was just like, this is, this is absurd. Like, I'm not reading all. I'm like, no. I wanna, if I want to read that much, I read a novel. Just write novels, dude. But like, and if you look at Matt Bendis' stuff before that, like his, his, his graphic novels, they weren't that bad. Like Jinx and Goldfish and uh, Fortune and Glory and, you know. It was all right, you know, and Torso, which is one Torso. of the greatest books I've ever read. But you know, I, I like All Star X. I mean, all new X Men. I really like the the Transformers comics that IDW is doing now. They're very oh, yeah. smart because they, they turn into science fiction books. There's no humans. It's on Cybertron or in deep space. It's like the final season of Transformers where they were like out in space fighting like space squids and stuff. It's like crazy. It's like what Transformers should be. You know, the kind of thing you do when you're not listening to what the audience tells you. Right, thank you! Because <laughs> if you ask the wrong people, they'll be like, oh, I want to be on Earth, and well, I want to fight Cobra Command. I'm like, no, no, no. They're a, giant, they're a race of giant robots that have like a billion year history. They have their own And history, yeah. all we keep dealing with is like them fighting over like in Oregon. I'm like, no, man. I want to see what they got going on. So the IDW Transformers books are dealing with the Cybertronian culture, and it kicks so much ass. It is ridiculously good. If you're not reading them, I would go back and start at the beginning. There's two of them. It's called oh. Morning Meets the Eye, and the other one is called Robots in Disguise. Right, and they're both kick-ass books. I strongly we'll recommend them. We'll um, Luther Strode is a good book. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic yeah. book. I really like... Um, what else am I reading? I'm reading... Uh, I'm reading a lot of independents. I never remember them because they're not long brands. Mm -hmm. There's one called Planetoid by uh, Image. Came out uh, a year and a half ago. It's I'm about this sure astronaut that crashes on this mm -hmm. world and has a strong magnetic field, so he can't get off of it because it, all the ships are metal. <laughs> so it's a great story. It's sort of like, uh, it's like very much a John Carter ish type of story where he lands on a planet and he can't get off. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm reading so many different things, but they're all like indies. It's not yeah, a lot of Marvel um, stuff. I'm really, really into image and very normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some books like Tang Grand and. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of good books over there. Revival, Saga. 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 Saga's awesome. Saga's That's awesome. another one I'm reading. Yeah. Saga's good. Walking Dead, of course. Yeah, Walking Dead. Um, there was a... God, I'm trying to remember. I'm blanking out because every time somebody asks me what comics I read, I can never name never them. Name. Um, Superior Spider-Man. I'm giving it a chance because I'm waiting for Peter Parker to come back. <laughs> yeah, hey, man. But if he does not come yeah, back, yeah. I'm just giving it a shot. I'm yeah. like, His amazing slot is pissing me off. Right? I can't start reading. He's doing oh. it masterfully. I can't start reading. Masterfully. This is the thing. The greatest Spider-Man story I ever read was the Hobgoblin epic, but not the one everybody remembers. I'm talking about Spider-Man issues 238 through 269. Yeah, Ned Lee stuff. The Ned Lee's, but yeah. before you knew he was Ned Lee's. You didn't yeah, know. You still didn't yeah, know who yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, during that period, the following things happened. Peter Parker 
uh, lost his job. Mm. Then he started dating another girl that wasn't Mary Jane. Mm. And he had, he was beefing with his landlady because he never paid his rent on time. Then he went to Secret Wars, came back with a black costume. Mm-hmm. Then Harry Osborne lost his mind. Black Cat and him broke up. Mm-hmm. And then he jumped in. Black Cat jumps in the window while him and Mary Jane are having a beef. Then Mary Jane's like, I knew you were Spider-Man. <laughs> All that happened mm-hmm. in that in like a 12, 16 issue span. Mm-hmm. We haven't had anything like that since then. I mean, you had Craven's Last Hunt, you know, Fearful mm-hmm. Symmetry, yeah. which was pretty freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. But they don't take chances anymore. You know, like they'll do something where having Cyclops in 18 issues of a book, or Wolverine in every in every Avengers book and X Force. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How's what? Like how's Wolverine on every team? And he teaches at the Xavier School or the Jean Grey School. Costume to wear on which day? Seriously. And in Deadpool, I mean, I love Deadpool, but he is everywhere. I'm like, dude, come on. So I kind of think Marvel need personally. I think they need to contract. I think they should go back to having maybe. 15 to 20 titles a month. You You're Wade generous. Adding, you I've and said Wade 10. can sit down and have a conversation where you are both saying the same thing. <laughs> right, exactly. Stop. Exactly. Yep. I mean, sure, that's good because I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. You know? Not the only one. Everything <laughs> that he has said repeatedly on Right. Yeah. Think about it. When Marvel was at its best, they had maybe two Avengers books. Two Avengers books, two X-Men maybe. books. Yeah, yeah, you had X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. Mm-hmm. Then you had Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Webb. Oh, but then they dropped Webb and it was mm-hmm. Amazing and Spectacular. Mm-hmm. So you need. You don't need. Like 15,000 titles of, you know. 15 Avengers. What, really? Really, man. Right now, Wolverine, Wolverine, has Nobody, like, Wolverine has like six books. So I mean, going. no right. one can, gave a damn about the Avengers until the Iron Man movie came out. Yeah. Because yeah. you couldn't sell an Avengers book. Yeah. Because yeah. people were like, what? Nobody cares about Captain America. Yeah. I like Captain America, but nobody cares about him. It's like, you know, if he died, they shot him and nobody cared. And then it's like, oh, they brought him back. Nobody cared. You know, it's like, come on. So, um, I don't know. Marvel needs to get their stuff together. DC is problematic because DC Comics, they have a good universe. They, I love the idea of the new 52, but 52 books is still too much. It should have been 26. It should have been a new 26. I don't know what the obsession is with the number 52, but you, you don't need that many Superman books. You don't need that many Batman books. If you keep everything tight, have everything revolve around the Justice League, I mean literally, have the Justice League being the centerpiece of the DC Universe and branch everything off of that. So if something happens with a Justice League comic, You'll feel it in Batman. You'll feel it in because like oh, preach. You know you'll preach. feel it. So you can't because like, like Gotham and Metropolis are actually in terms of the DC map not that far away from each other. Yet you wouldn't think yeah. that anything happening like Metropolis gets wrecked all the time, right? Somebody brainiac comes and tosses the whole city upside down. Then Batman, nothing You're happens. Gonna make way you know, and nothing He's happens. Like, you know? He's gonna cry with the noise. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Anyway, Brandon, um, you want to say thanks for talking to us? Sure, Jeez, man. I know you're there. I know you're busy. Man, I ain't stuff. doing nothing now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to do this. I'm very happy to you be enjoying here. Enjoying Barbados? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I went to, we went to Oysters twice in a row. Oh, so uh, nice. sweet. Yeah, sweet. You got some oh, fish. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. The food, is, the food here is amazing. Yeah, it is. Excellent. All right. Well, like I said, thanks for talking to us. Um, Absolutely, guys. We really enjoyed the session. Informative. Really informative. If our listeners want to follow you, where can they find you? Oh, sure. Okay. I'm on Twitter. At Brandon Easton, just put it all in B R A N D O N E A S T O N. I have a website, Shadow Law Online. That's um, spelled sounds like a spell. Shadow Law, all one word. Shadow Law Online. I have a blog called The Fool's Crusade, and I just talk about nonsense. Sometimes I like complain about women. Other times I complain about comic books and superheroes. Other times I'll talk about movies I don't like. But it's just me just talking about nonsense. But it's a lot of fun, and you get to find me there. And um. I'm also on Facebook, 
I have a group for aspiring writers called Writing for Rookies, and I also do oh, a yeah. podcast called Writing for Rookies, absolutely cool. free. Right. It's on the I, an iTunes store, and also Writing for Rookies um, is a website. And I talk about how to break it in. All the stuff I talked about today at the panel, I talk about it over the course of like 20 episodes. I also do a show with Brandon Thomas, who's also a black comic book writer. The two Brandons, thank you, yeah. And um, we got in a lot of trouble because we, we got into this big fight online, on the air about Star Trek Into Darkness. And we also talked about the industry, about how racist it could be. And we're starting to get some attention for that, you know, and that's really good. So people can find me in, in any of those places. And I really recommend people come to the Writing for Rookies page on Facebook Hello. as soon as possible and join up. And everything's free if you can get online. So, you know, there you go. Nice. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Uh, Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the con. Thank you. I plan on a big after party tonight. Yep. <laughs> yeah.